Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. You'll say yes to small groups this fall here at Southwest, and uh, next weekend, we're going to be kicking off a church-wide small group series, and it will coincide with what we talk about on the weekends, both on Saturday and Sunday. And so, um, we want to encourage you to uh, participate in every way, not only on the weekends when we talk about uh, this material entitled More, but also that you'll engage in a small group. And to help facilitate that, we've got tables in the back And you can see a number of the small groups here at Southwest are advertising and signing people up for their small group. And last week, I understand that some groups were even enticing uh, people to their small group with cookies and uh, with gifts. And uh, so uh, we want to encourage you to go by those tables and see opportunities. You also see in the bulletin in the green uh, piece of paper, it's got a listing of all the small groups front and back. Uh, being offered this fall. And also, we have in the uh, bulletin a survey. A number of you filled that out last week, but not everyone. And we would love to get uh, your feedback on your past experiences uh, with small groups. We'd love to know uh, maybe if there's any apprehension. And, and we also want to know if you've had any good, bad experiences, just so we can learn from that, because we're continuing to look for ways to make our small groups here at Southwest stronger and more effective. We, we really emphasize small groups because we believe that, uh, that to really experience everything that Southwest is all about, it's important to uh, get involved in a small group fellowship and uh, really live out that more abundant life that Jesus talked about. Not only a relationship with God, but also a relationship with others and put into practice what the Bible has to say about the one another relationships. Now, we're going to be talking uh, beginning next week about this uh, subject matter of more, how to live that more abundant life. And as you came in, you probably saw a number of books uh, on that front welcome table, and we want to encourage you uh, to pick up a book. Um, uh, You don't have to read the book to to participate in the weekend messages. You don't have to buy a book uh, to participate in a small group. But if you want to get the most out of it, uh, we want to encourage you to do that. In fact, that first week of small group, we're going to be discussing those first two or three chapters of the book. So you might want to pick it up and start uh, reading on that. Uh, But before um, jumping into the more series, which will start next week, Uh, both on the weekends and in our small groups. Uh, We utilized last weekend and this weekend to review uh, some very important principles here at Southwest, some guiding principles. And we've called this series Hashtag. And uh, if you were here last week, we talked about uh, Hashtag Purpose. What is our purpose? Why do we exist as a church? And we talked about our purpose statement, to love God, love people, serve the community, and share Jesus. And we, we shortened that to just love, serve, and share. And today we're going to talk about our mission. 
And uh, as Andrew shared in the welcome, we have a mission statement as a church, and we're going to unpack that today and talk about why that's important for us and why we believe that's uh, what the Lord would have us focus on. So with that said, let's go ahead and uh, before we open up uh, God's Word, let's pray and ask God to just uh, lead our time together. So Father, we thank you for how you're working in life for this church. We thank you, Father, for uh, just that you've invited us into the mission that you have of, of uh, uh, redeeming and bringing people back to you. And Father, you've, you've invited us to relationship with you. You've invited us to follow your son. And I pray, Father, as we talk about the mission that you've given us as a church today, I pray that you, your spirit will lead me and guide me to know uh, what to say and how to say it in such a way, Father, that, that this message will really uh, communicate uh, your mission and really connect with every person and invite every individual here into what you're trying to do in the life of uh, this church. And so just thank you, Father, for this time, and I pray that you'll, your spirit will just really be at work in, in a clear and powerful way. So it's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, last week, as we talked about purpose, uh, we closed out uh, with a passage in Matthew 28. And so as we begin this discussion of mission, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And this is what's commonly called the Great Commission, okay, from uh, Jesus giving the Great Commission to the church. Uh, but another way to look at it is you could also call it uh, the commission that Jesus invites us to uh, share with him his mission. And you can read about that in Matthew 28 and verses 19 through 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples. This is Jesus speaking. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It would be easy for us to read this passage and say, well, this was Jesus' commission to those, uh, those apostles, those first disciples. At this point, this is after the resurrection, this would have been the 11 faithful disciples. Judas was no longer a part of that group. And it would be easy to say, well, this is just the, a charge to them. Well, that's true. In the context, it was a specifically a charge to them. But in this charge, you see a, a perpetual uh, repetition of this command. He says, take this charge to heart and then teach others to do it as well. So this, in its very nature, is an ongoing uh, command or mission for the church. Now, this mission includes baptizing those who are willing to embrace uh, Jesus discipleship by the, authority, by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, baptizing people is not the end of the matter, but only the beginning. Here at Southwest, we emphasize the importance of being baptized. As we see it commanded by Christ, as you can see from this passage, and it's that initial point that we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Bat baptism is described in Scripture in a number of places, but I think probably the most succinct verse in the Bible that describes it is found in Colossians 2.12, when it says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. 
And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. I absolutely love seeing people grow in their faith and trust in Jesus to the point that they're willing to identify with Christ in baptism and experience that new life that Christ provides. Last week, if you were here, I I shared with uh, the church quite a bit about my recent mission trip to El Salvador. If you weren't here, you can go to our website and uh, listen uh, to the podcast there. We, we put all of our messages on our website. So if you ever miss a weekend, you can, can listen in. Uh, but uh, last week, I shared a number of stories. I kind of just uh, illustrated the whole message with stories from El Salvador. I'm not gonna do that again today. But I did wanna share one more story I didn't share last week. And, and that is that, um, and by the way, uh, I found out this past week that we have a privilege as a church is that uh, this Tuesday, Jose Rodriguez, who's the lead church planter there in El Salvador, is actually uh, in the United States going to visit several churches in the United States telling people about the good work there in El Salvador. And uh, he's going to be traveling through Ohio, and he's going to stop here on Tuesday. We're going to have a luncheon. So if you have uh, some free time noon Tuesday, I know most of you are at work, but if you get a lunch break and can get away and want to meet Jose and hear a little bit more about the, the uh, work there, you can do that. We've invited some of the area churches in as well so we can tell others about the work there. But while I was in El Salvador, I had a chance to, to preach at two different churches. And, and one of the churches I got a chance to preach at was Santa Tecla, which is a suburb of San Salvador, El Salvador. And here's the picture of the, the worship area. It's warm there year round, so they don't have to build walls. They just have to build a, a roof because there is a season there that it's very rainy, which is actually this time of year. And so while I was there, I got to preach twice at that church, and uh, it seemed, it was kind of an unnerving and uncanny thing. Each time I preached, it just poured rain, okay? Um, and uh, the first time was kind of cool because it was pouring rain before I got up to speak, and so I, I tried to do an Elijah thing, and I prayed for God to, to, to just uh, kind of silence the rain. It was kind of cool. About halfway through the message, the rain stopped, and, and they were able to hear so one of the guys said, well, the first part of your message must not have been very good because the <laughs> Lord didn't want him to hear that part, but it, it did quit raining, and so that was good. They really tuned in. But the second time I preached, it, was, uh, it wasn't raining at the beginning, and then it started raining about halfway through, and I guess the Lord wanted him to hear the first part of that message. But anyways, it got so bad that the translator was standing right next to me, and he couldn't he couldn't hear me, okay? I had to keep repeating myself as I thought, well, if he can't hear me right next to me, they probably can't hear him. And so we just kind of cut it, cut the message short. Now, some of you are gonna start praying for rain during the middle of my messages, but I don't think our roof is quite as uh, noisy here as it was there. But uh, afterwards, um, uh, Andy Sims, my partner there on that mission trip, he said, he said, I think you were cursed. You know, every time you got up to preach here, it rained hard and got cut short. I said, no, no, because at the end of that message, at the end of that worship gathering, uh, a lady was baptized into Christ. So it was cool while I was there. It was outdoors there in a pool right, right beside that tent area. And it was, 
that was really cool to see her. It was pouring rain, by the way, but I guess if you're going to get immersed, you're going to get wet anyway, right? So, uh, so she was immersed there, and that was really cool. And so I told Andy, I said, no, I wasn't cursed. I said, I planted some seeds of faith. I said, God watered it, okay? And, and then we saw the fruit of it. So that was, that was really cool to be a part of that. But I, I love seeing people embrace the teachings of Christ, to be obedient, to be baptized, and experience that new life in Christ. If you've never taken that step of faith, we'd love to assist you as a church in taking that important step. And if you want to learn more about it, just make a note on the communication card, and and someone will follow up with you this week of how you can put this into practice as well. And yet I have to confess that for far too long, personally, I, I viewed baptism kind of as the, as the celebration, as the end goal of helping people uh, uh, get in the water, be obedient to Jesus. And yet we realize here at Southwest, especially over the past several years, that baptism is not the end goal. Oh, that's, a, that's a great moment in the life of someone and their faith. But, but it's really the beginning point of their journey. It's not the end goal of this perpetual mission that Jesus gives the church, but it's the beginning. Now, the the parallel would be for someone, uh, a young parent, to have a baby and, and, and go through the you know, the nine months of pregnancy and then go to the hospital and, and celebrate the birth and then come home with that newborn, come home to the house and say, we've arrived as parents. We have a child. Now, for any of us who have children, we know that when you bring that newborn home, that's not, you know, that's not the celebration that you've arrived as a parent. That's the beginning point. The journey has just begun. Instead of saying, you know, I've, I've fulfilled my responsibility as a parent, you're saying, no, welcome to parenthood. Here it begins. Well, the same is true for the church, and the same is true for an individual that maybe can lead someone else to Christ, and they make that decision to be baptized. After the baptism, you don't say, wow, great, I've, I've fulfilled Christ's mission in sharing my faith with this person. No, no. The, the, the response should be instead, welcome to spiritual parenthood. Welcome to discipleship. Now the journey begins. In fact, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 28, verse 20, that baptizing is simply the first part of fulfilling his mission of making disciples. The second and equally important part of this mission is in verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here we see that this this perpetual ongoing mission for those who embrace uh, Jesus' call to, to follow him and to be his disciple or followers is also to teach others who are willing to follow Jesus what it means to obey his commands. And of course, Jesus just finished giving the command to go make disciples. So, so one thing that a, a young Christian needs to learn is that they are also invited to make disciples. 
It's in this two-part Great Commission that we at Southwest have identified the two parts of our mission as a church. The first is to be a church that's really serious about truly following Jesus. So if you're looking at the notes, it's, we talk about hashtag following Jesus. Now, the first matter that we need to address when it comes to following Jesus or discipleship is to recognize that, that discipleship isn't simply an option for the spiritually mature, but it's the very essence of what it means to trust and follow Jesus. You see, I think there's this, this faulty thinking in a lot of churches and in a lot of believers' minds is that, that, that they're a Christian and that a disciple is someone that's, that's like a church leader or a, a strong, really strong, mature Christian. But you see, biblically, the two terms are used interchangeably. They're, they're used in, in a synonymous way. I like what Dallas Willard had to say about this. He said, the governing assumption today among many professing Christians is that we can be Christians forever and never become disciples. You see, that's false thinking. If you call yourself a Christian, by definition in Scripture, then you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we have to recognize that Jesus gives the church the mission to make disciples. The, the, the mission of the church is not to make attenders, okay? I think that's the way a lot of churches hear this mission. Just grow a crowd, make more attenders, now, do we want to grow a crowd? Absolutely. But the goal of growing a crowd is to point them to Jesus so that they will become his disciples. The goal of the church, the mission of the church, is not to make members. That's how sometimes we can read this. But the mission of the church, according to Jesus, is to make disciples. Now, here's the question that I want to ask you. Are you taking seriously the call of following Jesus and truly being and living out in your life what it means to be a disciple. Would you describe yourself as a disciple of Jesus? Or have you kind of dismissed that, that term and kind of dismissed this teaching of Jesus saying, well, that's, that's something for the church leaders. So what, what we're hoping to help everyone embrace this weekend is that this is a call for every, anyone who claims to be a Christian. Now, if, if you can't really describe yourself today as a disciple, if you wouldn't use that term to define yourself, then we wanna look today at how does Jesus define that term? And we wanna invite you into that life of truly being a disciple of Jesus. If you, like me, say, yes, I identify and I, I, I call myself a disciple of Jesus, then what I want to invite you today is as we go back and look at this very basic invitation to be a disciple, we want to invite you to review and evaluate yourself. Have I been living this past week as I claim to be, as a disciple of Jesus? So let's think about that and make personal application as we look at Jesus' invitation to be a disciple. So let's, we started in Matthew 28. Let's go back earlier in Matthew when Jesus first started 
his ministry. And he first started calling people to follow him. Let's see what that call included. And so in Matthew 4, verse 18, it's not in your message notes, but you can see it on the screen here. This is how Matthew records Jesus beginning his ministry. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. About five years ago, I got a chance to to go to Israel, and it was it was great to be able to spend about a week at the Sea of Galilee area. And and really, what's cool is that they have discovered it was embedded in the Sea of Galilee, and because of the water and pressure, and I don't really understand all this, the science behind it. But this boat that they've dated to be about two thousand years old was recovered, and they brought it up, and I got to see it in a museum, and and it was it was really cool to see this boat and to try to envision, you know. Peter and Andrew and James and John, some of these first followers of Jesus in a boat this size. And uh, that was really cool. It made this passage very, uh, very uh, relatable and very personal. Well, the very next verse, Jesus invites them to be his followers. Let's read about that in Matthew uh, 4, verse 19. I like how the New Revised Standard Version reads here. It says, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. It's a very short verse, but it's very power-packed. We're gonna try to dig into that today and say, what does that mean for us if we claim to be a disciple or if we're considering being a disciple? What does this mean? Well, the first phrase there of this invitation, and by the way, I think the definition of a disciple is embedded in the invitation here. The first phrase of this invitation is simply the decision to follow. If you're taking notes, the first aspect of it is the head decision. The head decision, Jesus said, to follow me. You see, it's important for us to engage our minds to consider the claims, the teachings, and the promises of Jesus of Nazareth, and to ask ourselves, do we really believe that these claims are true? Do we truly believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, that he is the son of God and that he did die for us on the cross and that he was buried and was raised from the dead? And a question for each of us to ask ourselves, do we really believe this is true? And do we really believe that Jesus is worthy of us committing our entire lives to him and to become his followers? One of the important decisions that we call people to here at Southwest is to verbally confess their head decision and their intent to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In fact, prior to an individual being baptized here at Southwest, we call them to make a declaration of their faith. In fact, this is how the scriptures describe it in Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, as I shared before, if our, if our mission was simply to baptize people, that's, that's not our mission. It's part of our mission, but it's not the entirety of our mission. If our mission was simply to baptize people, then here's what we would do. We'd just find two of the strongest guys in the church, and we'd just go all over this area, and we'd just start grabbing people and throwing them in water. 
I mean, if that was our mission, I mean, that's all we'd do. But you see, if you just throw people into water without them making a decision to follow Jesus, then that's not baptism. That's just people getting wet. And so here at Southwest, we think that before someone uh, takes that step of faith, it's very important for them to process what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? In fact, we, that, that, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, I, I tell people before they're baptized, they can, they can confess more if they want to, but those three words, Jesus is Lord, are powerful. In that statement, you're, you're, you're saying that you believe that Jesus really is who he claims to be, that he is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. But also, by, by saying Jesus is Lord, you're, you're declaring that he is going to be your leader for the rest of your life, that he is going to be your ruler, your king, your controller. You know, we, we have a, a children's discovery class. I believe we have it this week, don't we, Tammy? And, and with uh, the children in our elementary age, that they start asking questions about what it means to be a Christian. They start asking questions about baptism. Uh, we encourage them to take this class, but we talk to them about that confession, Jesus is Lord. And we tried to think of how to make it as clear as we can for children. We say, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying that Jesus is going to be your boss for the rest of your life. It's a way to look at it. And so see, the question is, have you made that head decision to really surrender to Jesus leadership in your life. And if you have, does your life this past week reflect an individual in a life that is consistent with that confession, that Jesus is truly your Lord and your leader? So you see, a decision to follow Jesus starts with the head. But it also needs to transfer to the heart and I love this next phrase in Jesus' invitation. He, he, he says that we've got to embrace him and his teachings at the heart level. He says, I will make you. I will make you. One of the promises of Jesus that led me to personally make my initial decision to follow Jesus and be baptized many years ago was the promise that he gives of, of giving his Holy Spirit, to live within each and every follower. Now, at that point in my life, I, this, this, this promise of the Holy Spirit being given to the Christian was incredibly good news to me because there were some changes that I saw that I needed to make in my life, and I knew in and of myself, I did not have the strength nor the power to make those changes. And the, and the promise that, that God would give me his spirit to live in me, to empower me and to change me, that was great news. Let me share with you a scripture that really speaks to me of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. It's found in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. And I love this description. It says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory 
are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, in this passage, it says that for us as followers of Jesus, our role is to keep our eyes fixed on him, to, to just admire him, to worship him, to, to constantly look to him and his example for our lives, and, and to contemplate how, how great he is. And as we do that, the promise of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit will then change us from the inside to transform us. I love that word, to transform us, to change us, to become more like Jesus to become more like him in his holiness, the purity of our lives, to become more like him in his integrity, the truthfulness of our speech, and more like him in his love for others. You see, it's one thing to say that we believe in Christ. It's another thing to to allow him and his spirit to change us, to be more like Christ. This past week, I met with some leaders of our church, and we talked about how are we doing as shepherds in, in leading people to truly live out a life of discipleship. And we looked at these three areas that we're talking about today, and we said, you know, we think we're, we're doing pretty good on, on the head level where people are being informed and making decisions to follow, but, but we feel like we need to give more intentional effort in our leadership of helping people be transformed and changed to be like Jesus. This week, one of the authors that I follow on Twitter made this post, and I I loved it. His name is Alex Epsilon. He said, if you want a discipleship culture, you need to prioritize imitation over information. I like that. I like that. You know, as as a teacher, I tend to think, okay, my role is to dispense information. But the real calling in the church is not just for us to absorb information. It's for us to embrace this idea of imitation, to become like Jesus. In fact, the emphasis of our small group series this fall is not just storing up information. It's, it's how are we applying it? And are we imitating Jesus more and more all the time? Now, how are you doing at the heart level? Are you imitating Christ? Or are you just reading the Bible and learning more information? Are you being internally changed to be more like Jesus? Or are you, if you're really honest with yourself, are you quenching the Holy Spirit in your heart and your life and you're not really allowing him to change you as he's invited? You see, if we're serious about following Jesus, we not only need to make the head decision, we need to also have the heart saying, I want to be changed by God. And the third area of discipleship is the hands decision. Jesus said, fish for people. You know, there's times where we need to not just learn about Jesus, not just say, God changed me, but we gotta roll up our sleeves and, and put our faith into action. You know, yesterday we had a great opportunity as a church. Uh, once a year we have a, what we called fall carnival. Yesterday we called it autumn fest. And, and we had a bunch of children from the community come out. It was a great time. And it was an opportunity for us as a church, not just to say that we love the community, but to show it with our actions and to get involved and serve people in this community. You know, when the disciples followed Jesus, 
They saw him care about other people deeply. He saw, they saw him uh, caring about people that were living far away from God at the time. One of the, the guys that, that Jesus reached out to that really uh, had a, a very checkered past. In fact, he, he, he was not considered a religious person. In fact, he wasn't considered even a good person. And yet Jesus reached out to him. He's a guy named Zacchaeus, and he spent an entire afternoon with him. And Zacchaeus, because of that, had true life change. And Jesus described his mission with Zacchaeus and his mission on earth in this way in Luke. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. You see, as a church, we're called not just to strengthen each other, but we're called to love those that maybe right now are living far away from God. I like what uh, Bill Hall, an author that I've been reading, had to say about discipleship on this point. He says, the real question for a disciple is this, how are you doing loving the people God has put in your life? The goal of spiritual maturity is not self-improvement. It's transformation into people who live to love others. How are you doing loving the people God has put in your life, in your neighborhood, at work, in your family? Maybe those people that, that don't identify themselves as Christian. How are you doing loving those folks? I believe that every Christian should have two or three people that they're praying about on an ongoing basis that they can influence to also become followers of Jesus. You see, we're called to be on mission. We're called to share with others. And that's our final point. Have you accepted Jesus' call to intentionally be making disciples, pouring yourself into others so that they too will become a follower of Jesus? I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite authors, said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. You see, as a church, we're called to continue to reach out. I wanna ask you, who can you share Jesus with this week? And you say, oh boy, I, I don't feel comfortable, you know, talking about my faith. Well, would you begin by just praying for them? Somebody that, that right now isn't really pursuing a relationship with God, but could you begin praying, God, give me the words, give me the example, give me the heart to reach out to them. And ask yourself, how can I show them, not just with my words, but also with my deeds, that I really do care for them? You see, the church is only the church when it exists for others. And we at Southwest, we're called to be on mission of following Jesus and making disciples. Well, I love Jesus' mission statement. You know, if you go back earlier in Luke, before Jesus even began his public ministry, really in, in calling the disciples, he, he went to the synagogue in his hometown and he stood up and he read this scripture in Luke 4, verse 18 and 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus said, I came to bring good news to people that are hurting. I came to bring good news to people that need God in their life. If you are a Christian, you're called to share that same good news with others. But here's the thing. As we talk about discipleship, there's, there's always this, this, this tension between grace and discipleship. In fact, in fact, I think that churches tend to go to one extreme or the other. I think there's, there's some churches that talk a lot about our responsibility to follow Jesus, our call, our commitment, but they don't teach much on grace. And then there's other churches that teach a lot about grace and forgiveness, and yet they don't teach on discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that, that forgiveness without discipleship is cheap grace. I believe that we've got to live in that tension and say, okay, we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to follow him with our head, with our heart, and with our hands. We're called to share our faith with others. And yet, the good news is that this is also a response to the grace of God. In, in that, early, that original mission statement there in Luke 4, in verse 19, Jesus says, I've come to pronounce the, the time of the Lord's favor has come. If you go back and read the original passage he's quoting from, from Isaiah, it's talking about the Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee for the Jewish people was a, a year that all debts were canceled. I'm so grateful that we've been invited to a Lord that invites us to forgiveness. He invites us to relationship with him where we can find grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so even when we fall short in our discipleship, we're continually brought back to a, a God who loves us and says, I'll forgive you when you fall short, but allow my forgiveness to motivate you to get back up and follow me with all your heart. If you had a good week this past week, then during this time of communion, celebrate all the goodness of God. But if you've had a tough week, be grateful that this is a time to soak up the favor of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, so that we can find the strength to get back up and follow on. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for this time to just the close of our service, just to reflect on your mercy and your grace and that Jesus came to bring that grace Help us, Father, to, in our discipleship, when we fall short, to realize that your grace is always there. But we shouldn't cheapen it, Lord. We should be motivated by it to live out our faith in every way. Help us as we take the bread and as we take the cup. Be reminded of the cost it was for you to extend this grace to us, the cost of your son. Help us be grateful. And help us be motivated to live our lives in commitment to you. It's in Jesus we pray.